Canto 31 of The Purgatory begins with Beatrice still in full flight, full attack at Dante. She's quite self-confessedly pitiless and merciless. She mocks him standing there on the other side of the stream. She says, what on earth stopped you following the line of beauty in life? She tells him to look up, not look down. And Dante stands there saying that she didn't just plunge in the sword, but now she twists it as well. It really is uncomfortable to read. This is so far from what you'd expect. Lovers meeting, beauty appearing before Dante's eyes, being welcomed into heaven on the verge of paradise. And it really makes you think hard about what is going on. Why did Dante see this? Why has Dante the poet worked so hard over several cantos to ensure that we have to wrestle with this element as well? And I've got some clues from reading William Blake as well, because Blake, in the state that he calls Eden Eternity, which is the highest state of mind that he describes we human beings capable of enjoying, at least on this side of death, he talks there about what he calls wars of love. And these are, this is the mental fight, which is a real competition, and it's a real battle. It's even got real defeat, what he calls self-annihilation. But it's all done in complete awareness that forgiveness is given at every stage, that this is not about defeat in the sense of subjugation, it's about defeat in the sense of giving up what you thought you knew, controlled, had done, achieved, the life you'd lived, in order that you can only become more open to more and more life. It's the attack of the defences in order that more might flood in. And I think that Dante is onto this too, here now, with his account of Beatrice just going at Dante, hammer and tongs. It breaks him. He says that he snapped like a bow, and yet there's just enough of him that knows this is also going to be his liberation, because he has done all that work. He's been through the inferno. He's been to the place where there's no hope, and he's now ascended Mount Purgatory with the suffering that is the pathway to hope, because it's about opening up more and more to yourself, which is therefore about becoming more and more capable of the divine. He knows it was Beatrice that came to limbo to call on Virgil to guide him. So he can tolerate what's happening because he knows there is actually a place secured for him. And he can occupy that place fully because he's seen and been exposed to himself fully. He can bring all that he has been, all that he is, in order to become all that he might be at the last. Then she asks him for his confession, for his free, open assent to all that she's been saying, because he sees it for himself. He has felt the shame that would have followed the siren's song, but can also begin to intimate that by saying so, he might find 
the path that enables him to transcend that and to follow beauty into the place that it really wants to draw him, that it really wants to carry him towards. But just when we as readers think, oh, thank goodness, um, we're back to love at last, she starts up again and she says, didn't you know that when I died, my body would turn to dust and this thing that you thought was the epitome of beauty on earth would therefore turn to dust as well. And so learn that true beauty is not to be found on earth, it's to be found in heaven. And you should have grown your wings, you should have learned to fly and to follow me into the heavenly realms. At first in your imagination, then becoming more capable in your virtue in order to carry you too beyond death into the fullness of life. Didn't you know that, she says? Why didn't you learn that? Why did you turn to these simulacra of the good, the things that can't deliver what they promise they will? She tells him to raise his head. She mocks him, having a beard now as a full man and yet still standing before her like a child. And he takes that full on the chin. He feels humiliated by it. He looks to the angels who if you remember in the previous canto, had shown him some compassion before Beatrice told them off as well. But there's something about how he must do this looking towards her with full awareness of all that he is and has been. Because there's a sense in which saying yes to your suffering, saying yes to your mistakes, is actually expansive of your soul. You know, you kind of breathe it in in acceptance and actually it increases your dignity, increases your ability to stand. And so he looks towards her and then in a final blow sees that she's actually looking at the griffin. She's looking at the two natured beast that shows majesty on earth as well as its wings and sight, its head reaching towards the heaven, this creature that bridges the two worlds the creature that knows that earthly beauty is but the starting point for, in a sense, a flight into the heavenly realms. And it's too much for him. His guilt hilts him full on. He sees, I think, in that moment, perhaps more clearly than any other, what he has been within an inch of losing entirely. Everything that Beatrice woke in him, he could have scuppered scattered, smashed, and so have been left trapped in the infernal realms. And he collapses in a dead faint. I think this is a moment where Dante symbolically dies. He, you might say, is self-crucifying now. Um, if you remember, Jesus on the cross had uttered the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the moment when he realises that he has forsaken the divine. He has almost killed himself and so collapses in a dead faint on the ground. And the next thing he knows as he begins to come around is that he has been carried through the stream, through the Liffey, by the woman who's still unnamed, the woman who appeared to him first when they came into the Eden forest at the top of Mount Purgatory, the woman who 
in her very being and in her song radiated with the vitality and love of the place. She now has him in her kind embrace. She's guiding him through the stream. It says that she lowers his head into the water just enough so he can drink from it. And then she takes him to the farther bank, even as he hears beautiful music, singing the words, cleanse me from my sin, wash me from my iniquity. And he's different. He's changed. Immediately he joins the four ladies dressed in purple, the four virtues identified by Aristotle. And he can begin to dance with them, or at least tolerate their dance around him. It said they formed around him a bit like a cloister. And I think this now in his forgetful state, he, through the waters of the Liffey, has become detached from the burden of his past life. He now is able, in a kind of new innocence, just for a time before he gets to the other stream, in this innocence he's able to dance with the virtues of heaven, which I think means that he's able to be open to their undefended reception of what life requires, of courage, of wisdom, of temperance, of the justice that is the harmony with all things. He's getting a foretaste now of how he in his own being can join in that heavenly movement, um, beginning to feel it in his very being that little bit more clearly. They tell him that if on earth they're known as the virtues, in heaven they are beings themselves, they're stars, they're celestial creatures who are part of the pulse of the heavens quite as much as anything else. We know them, if we're lucky, as personal characteristics, kind of qualities of ourselves, and that's just a foretaste of the full excitement and life that they will carry in heaven. And they say that part of their capability is to enable Dante to look at last into Beatrice's emerald eyes. And so he does. And he says that instantly the profound memory of how they sparked the original infatuation in him is rekindled. But also, in spite of these now thousand flames alight inside him, because of his innocence, he's also able to see how in her eyes is reflected the twofold nature of the griffin. He says that he sees it flipping between the earthly and the heavenly. He directs us readers, he says, imagine readers what that must be like to see. He can't quite see it unified yet, he can't see it joined as one, but at least he can see a dance between heaven and earth. He can begin to see how the love that he knew on earth could actually become a, br a bridge to the love that exists in heaven. So all this talk really makes me wonder, as a reader, do I really begin to know at all what Dante is experiencing here? And my best sense is that it's a bit like, for example, when you witness a beautiful moment, maybe a moment of tremendous reconciliation, 
in a more mundane sense, it's the kind of thing that, say, a romantic film will play to play on you. And it makes you well up. It makes you see the beauty of the moment. But in a way, what Beatrice is saying to us in such moments is, can you not just feel overwhelmed? Can you not even feel moved? Can you feel that you could inhabit that moment too? Could that kind of joining, whether it be between people, um, between earth and heaven, could that become a way of life for you? You get the same sense perhaps when you hear the most extraordinary moment in music where the sound seems to carry you to a point that it takes you well beyond what the sound itself is sounding. And it's very interesting if you think about the words that people use to describe such transcendent moments. For example, they might say it's exquisite. And of course, exquisite is such an ambiguous word because it's used to describe exquisite beauty, um, but also exquisite pain, as if it is too much to bear, as if you would draw back, almost hope that the moment comes to an end, even as you're thrown into the intensity of it. And Beatrice is saying, can you tolerate this? Can you go with it all the way? I was thinking also about how sometimes we see works of art, and it made me think about the art that I've been drawing on in the YouTube versions of these talks. I've been using Blake's art a lot, and a couple of cantos back, I showed one of Blake's pictures, which has Virgil, Dante, and Statius after the flames, after the wall of fire lying down for the last night on Mount Purgatory. And Blake draws this very beautiful image. I absolutely love it. Um, it's got soft colours. It just radiates tranquility. There's the three of them together undergoing their separate journeys, but undergoing the journeys in camaraderie and solidarity and mutual illumination as well. It looks across the sea to the distant horizon and the stars and the moon are supernaturally big and bright. If you remember Dante had said that he sees the stars and the moon afresh when he comes through the walls of fire and they do indeed look bigger because I think he is seeing them more in their fullness which is spiritual as well as physical. And when I look at that picture by Blake you know, I ask myself, I'm drawn to it, I love it. Do I know what it might be like to actually, as it were, be in that picture? To know of my own life, to be exuding the mood of that picture, to be enjoying the mood of that picture, so that it becomes part and parcel of who I am. Does it cease being a dream, a hope, an aspiration, to become a way of life that can be given, can be shared, can be exuded? It's a big question, um, but I guess that Beatrice is saying it's only when you know of all that stops you, that draws you in different directions, that drags you down, that you can know you can inhabit such, well, not just a picture of life, but life that's like that in itself. And this is what Dante is getting a taste of, I think, in this moment of innocence between the river Lithi and the river Inoe. And before he drinks from that second river, which doesn't happen here in Canto 31, 
the three virtues of faith, hope and love come and dance around him as well. And they speak to Beatrice and say, show him that second blessing. Unveil your mouth to reveal not just your eyes, but your smile. And the suggestion is that Dante, in this moment where he's not fully himself, he's in this kind of suspended state of grace, but able to get a glimpse of what it's like to hold together the passion of life with the sight of heaven. He's granted this moment and Beatrice shows her smile. And the canto ends with Dante the poet saying, I'm lost for words. Even the great poets who have climbed Mount Parnassus, who have taken in all that their art and ability, all that the muses and the divine gods can give them, would struggle in that moment to express the joy and delight that he felt. And so he leaves it as an open question. We get the benefit of feeling something of where he's still got to go that for the moment is ineffable. But for that moment, his soul is able to join with the soul of the divine, with the soul of heaven. And like the griffin, he can feel his embodiedness on earth linked to the divine light that's promised.